Hi, everyone. This is Hesse Jones, and welcome to Tech Uncensored. Today, there are about 3 million industrial robots around the globe. Roughly 400,000 of them are new robots that enter the market every year. And the global market um, is expected to reach almost $43.8 billion in revenue this year. The growth in North America, from a, a CAGR perspective, is expected to reach almost 10% through to 2028. So there are a lot of startups already developing uh, robotic technology to help factories address some of the labor shortages and mitigate future supply change, chain disruptions. And so today I'm really excited to speak to Peter Chen, who is the co-founder of Covariant Brain, one of the world's leading AI robotics companies that's actually modernizing today's uh, warehousing, as well as changing the future of e-commerce. So Peter and his co-founders are at the forefront of AI advancements since there is, and as well, they were researchers at OpenAI. So we're going to discuss a little bit about his journey pre-covariant. And it's not funny. I actually said pre-covariant. It sounded almost like COVID. So <laughs> they welcome Peter. And thank you for coming today. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's talk about your beginnings. So you're one of the researchers um, at OpenAI before starting your company. Tell us a little bit about your experience in actually advancing AI beyond what we consider today. Actually, it could have been yesterday, machine learning. And what was the, the vision for the company when you were there? Yeah, so I myself joined OpenAI pretty early. I joined OpenAI when it was about 10 people and then left when it was about 100-ish. And the first time that I joined OpenAI, OpenAI didn't even have an office back then. We were working out of Greg Brockman, the CTO's own house in San Francisco. OpenAI was definitely a very magical place from the very beginning. It has collected a group of extremely ambitious and talented AI scientists and researchers to Think big. You have a lot of research labs around the world that work on interesting stuff. But OpenAI was one of the very few that really was thinking about what is the big leap forward in terms of general intelligence. And it's really that mindset that has helped created this big movement behind ChatGPT and this big, really, um, AI revolution that we're looking at today. And we at Covariant building AI for robots really adopted a lot of the same philosophical, cultural, as well as technical approaches that sit behind ChatGPT's power today, which I can talk a little bit more about. And there's actually a shocking amount of similarities between ChatGPT in the language domain and Covariant brain in the robotics domain. Okay. Before we get to that, I'm interested to hear about whether or not you're surprised by the level of adoption in such a short amount of time. And was this something that when, when you were building it year, years ago, what was the expectation for what you were building and to what extent it would be ready for mainstream? I would say there are really two surprises. It's actually not just one surprise. The first surprise is how quickly the technology has advanced. And then the second surprise is how quickly it became adopted. But they are somewhat related. So if you look at the core idea of 
ChatGPT or really its more fundamental piece, GPT. The idea behind it is relatively simple. One core idea is this idea of um, training a foundation model uh, as opposed to a task-specific model. Right? So like what a foundation model means is that an AI model that is trained on many, many different tasks so that it can learn across all of these different domains and tasks such that it generalized to the next one better. And this approach sits at the core of ChatGPT, right? It's trained on the internet of text plus textbook plus Wikipedia plus OpenAI's own proprietary data set. And it's by training on all these diverse set of data, which really is representing different language tasks, right? It's the ability to learn across all of these using a foundation model approach that makes it so powerful. I would say like that thesis existed multiple years ago. And, and I'm surprised by, uh, I'm not surprised that this direction works, but I'm surprised by how quickly and how quickly it has advanced to the current day um, capability that it has. So that's the first surprise. I'm not surprised that it would happen. I'm surprised by the pace of it. The second aspect is how quickly it became adopted. Like I'm definitely surprised um, by just how quickly almost everyone um, that you talk to in tech, in general professional world has heard of or have used ChatGPT. And that is the core reason behind that is actually connected to the first technology point that I'm making. It's this approach on training a foundation model so that the AI work out of the box for new questions that you want to ask it, for new tasks that you want it to solve. That makes this rapid adoption possible. Because everyone, when they use ChatGPT, they have different kinds of tasks that they want GPT to solve. They have different problems in different domains that they want ChatGPT to solve. Part of the reason why ChatGPT has the ability to gain popularity and adoption so quickly is because it works on a lot of the tasks that people ask it to do, even if those are things that the AI was not specifically trained on, right? So it's really this rapid advances in foundation model that gives it the ability to generalize to new tasks better. That gives us this foundation for people to adopt it quickly because it actually works for their asks, their tasks. And it's important, like this kind of capability becomes so normalized very quickly in the last couple of months. But let's take a step back and think in the general scheme of AI, this has been extremely unusual, right? Like before this type of foundation model approach to AI, we had AI before, but they were just task specific AI. You have AI model that's doing useful things, but you need a group of AI scientists to come up with a task-specific AI model, and you need to collect data specifically for that task, and you need to go through expensive training to actually produce an AI that is good for that task. This makes it very hard for AI to gain mainstream adoption, right? Let's say I have a specific task that I want to solve. I personally definitely cannot afford uh, paying a team of scientists to come up with a specific model and then collecting a bunch of task-specific data. So it's this huge shift from task-specific AI to general AI that is powered by this foundation model approach that makes this rapid adoption possible. 
And this is in this idea is where I would say there is a very interesting analogy between AI in language and AI in robotics. If you think about the prejudgability moment, there were a lot of usage of language related AI already, right? Google translate, sentiment analysis, spam detection, summarizations. These were all language AIs that have existed pre ChatGPT. But what you have seen is that once you actually have a general AI for text, that is ChatGPT, you can suddenly open up so much more applications and so much more value that completely eclipses the magnitude of AI usage in language before. And this is going to be the same thing that's going to happen in robotics, right? As you have cited, robotics is already a huge market that is growing pretty quickly, but it's actually still, this is still a minuscule version of what it will be once we actually have that general AI to robotics. So what we really see now is what I would consider the free ChatGPT moment for language AI. Like we actually expect to see a lot more explosive growth as we build this general AI for robotics in a way that is similar to ChatGPT. And that's what we at Covariant by building this Covariant brain that is a foundation model for robotics. Okay. So let me ask you, so what, what was the impetus or the influence that made you shift gears and leave OpenAI and start Covariant? There are a couple of reasons. Like, I mean, OpenAI at that time still was a very research focused and not as much product focused company when my co-founder and I left OpenAI and there was a great beauty in that approach. At that time, we just believe a better way to build this general AI technology is by actually building products and actually deploying systems into customers, real production environments, and collecting data learning to feedback into the model. So that's the approach that we had taken then. And I mean, you can arguably say OpenAI has since then taken this more product approach as well by launching the public. API, then later ChatGPT product, which is all a way to bring a productized version of the AI to the market and use data and feedback in real production usage to further improve AI. But when we left OpenAI, it was not, that was not the direction of the company back then. Okay. I would say that robotics is still very nascent, although I do, I have seen some amazing I don't know if they're called prototypes coming out of Boston Dynamics. Like some of that stuff is, is amazing. And I think a lot of it's still used. It's still being implemented in some warehousing systems. But I want you to help us understand this notion of modern robotics and how it's different than it was, let's say, a decade or two ago. Yeah, so I would say like robotics has been always a backbone of modern manufacturing, but robotics in the past have been limited to only doing repetitive movement. You program the robot to do one thing and then it keeps doing that again and again. And so you need your environment to be perfectly structured. You cannot have any changes in what the robot is um, able to handle because it's only able to repeat the same motion. 
Um, and what modern robots and really what we consider AI robotics is really taken, take that same really industrialized hardware that is really good at highly accurate motion, but give it a brain, give it an AI brain that actually have the robots understand what's happening around it and make decisions and act differently, like when your surrounding environment changes. And this is going to unlock orders of magnitudes more use cases for robotics, right? Because if you think about what's happening in our world, there's only a tiny fraction of things that you can solve by perfectly repetitive motion. Like even when we pick up our phone, depends on like where you place your phone, you're going to exercise a different motion to do it. Like you don't just do exactly the same thing again. And so there's just orders of magnitudes more tasks that are currently untapped by traditional robotics because robots only used to be able to repeat things, but you actually want robots to have a brain to see in the world and understand it and make a different movement every time. And that's where you need really AI to unlock the next explosive growth of robots. And the covariance vision is you have one foundation model, one general AI platform that can empower robots across the world in different facilities doing different tasks to handle the world intelligently. Okay. So I'm going to, uh, there's a quote by one of your investors that, that I think is interesting because this is what you're alluding to. And he says, developing an AI system that can operate a robotic arm accurately, that identified things from a pile of jumbled, I guess, goods, upside down, sideways leaning, and then get it right. He goes, that's extremely hard. So from what you're saying, if we were in a perfect factory and things were going down a conveyor belt and everything is measured to an, I, I'm just thinking like peanut butter yeah. or cookies, or that's the system that we have today that's fairly accurate. But what you're talking about is that that system cannot, it cannot subsist long-term. We're still going to have to deal with anomalies and maybe these anomalies become like the mainstay. Because there's always human intervention within a factory setting. Is that right? Yeah. So what you're getting at is kind of like the core of what makes this a challenging AI problem is the change, is the normal, is the diversity of scenarios they need to handle. Right? And this is like a big reason why we start developing covariant brain between warehouses and the logistics space is there's constant change. Like your uh, new products being introduced to your warehouse. Every day, there's new packaging. There's even the same packaging can be damaged and you can have multiple different kinds of items mixed together. And there are always change and new things that a robot needs to understand and solve in front of it. And this is where the challenge comes. You have huge diversity of scenarios that you need to handle and you need to be able to handle them with a really high degree of autonomy. You need to be able to handle them with really high throughput. You need to be able to handle them with really high accuracy. And those are tough AI challenges. And covariant brain being a foundation model allows us to learn across all of those hard cases, across multiple industry sectors, all the way from pharmaceuticals to cosmetics, to fashion apparel, to grocery. Like the ability to learn across all of these different places gives our AI a general understanding of the world. So the next time that it sees 
a new item, a new circumstance. Like even though this exact circumstance has not seen before, like it's seen a lot of things that are similar to before that gives it the ability to handle that new situation out of the box. Okay. So tell us about the next question is probably a question you're probably you've expected because everybody worries about the next generation of computers and or robots that are going to replace real human work. And do you have a different point of view in terms of how, whether or not that's actually a casualty to the human race or um, is it an opportunity? We're covering, we are strong beliefs that AI robotics is a huge positive force to us as society and us as human race. The reason for that is you don't need to look very far and you look at why do customers adopt uh, AI robotics? Like they adopt AI robotics because they struggle to find people to do the kind of repetitive and injury prone tasks that exist in these warehouse environments. So if you look at the actual labor statistics in these workplaces, you will find that those jobs have oftentimes more than a hundred percent annual turnover rate. So meaning on average, like every single work location, like you will see a new person there, right? And it's that extreme turnover rate that signals how difficult it is to find people that want to do those jobs and how difficult it is to retain people to do those jobs. And so in robotics, we have found to be a great play, great way to help workers alleviate a lot of those extremely repetitive and injury-prone tasks that they don't want to do and upgrade the jobs into something that's a lot more fun and engaging, which is supervising a fleet uh, of robots. So as opposed to have to go there and do the same thing thousands of times a day, I'm like now my job is actually to oversee a team of robots like, and help them problem solve, figure out the optimal way to use them. And so that's the type of thing that we can bring very narrowly like, to the customers that we have and the people that um, work. And if you zoom out and think about like a broader view of the existential risk that AI has imposed uh, on human, like, and I would say robotics is actually a very safe form factor to use AI compared to an arbitrary AI that can uh, browse the internet, access your arbitrary code that can do arbitrary things on the internet. If you think about AI robotics, especially in a warehouse world, you have a very natural boundary of what that AI will do or will not will do, right? We are talking about industrial robot arms that's operating in a fixed footprint with safety cages around it. And so there's a really safe by definition use of the technology that is different from say a arbitrary language AI on the internet um, that can do anything. Uh, and we also believe there is significantly less misuse, like significantly lower risk of technology misuse, right? Like when you think about all these type of generative AI technologies, a big risk of them is misinformation, right? If you can use these to generate misinformation of like on text, on fake videos, fake audios, fake pictures, there's like real technology misuse risks and those don't quite translate to AI robotics. And again, like this comes from because the intelligence, the AI is channeled through in a much more confined boundary that is 
designed to produce productive work and designed to minimize any risk and damage. Okay, so where do you think we are today? Because you're talking about, let's say, AI robotics being trained generally across many, many different scenarios. And ChatGPT obviously has amassed so many use cases across billions of data points that robotics is not necessarily in that same boat in terms of the aggregation of the number of use cases. So realistically, like where are, where is the industry at this stage? And to, I think to quote you, when is it going to have its chat GPT moment? It's starting now, right? Like when we look at where we are deploying robots into, like we are seeing the same robot brain being successful with multiple cosmetics customers, with multiple apparel customers, with multiple pharmaceutical customers, with multiple grocery customers. Like these are all robots that are doing very different things across the world. These robots are, some are in North America, some are in Europe, and they are networked together and then learning together. So like, can you give an example of, let's say beauty industry or retail, how are, what kind of tasks of these robots? Yeah, so these robots are handling various kinds of manipulation tasks, like tasks that require your hand to handle, right? So that could be picking up something, inspecting, picking up something, and then sorting it into different customer orders or packing a customer orders. So like all of these tasks that require handling of goods are being solved by robots today on one AI brain. So I would say like, in some degree, like this chat GPT moment for robotics is happening now. It's going to have a slower takeoff than the language world because it's, the language world is purely digital where you, everyone can just go to a browser and then access chat GPT. That's not true for AI robotics, like, because you need physical infrastructure, you need to put a physical robot there. But if you look at it from a, um, technology readiness and from a um, AI perspective, like we actually have enough of that kernel um, to start the same revolution. I guess just the initial takeoff is going to be a little bit slower than robotics, but then language. Okay. So tell me about the fleet. You were talking about earlier about building a robotic fleet. So how pervasive is this today? When we talk about an individual actually managing a fleet of robots, what does that actually look like? Yeah, so this is a pretty common concept that we have in our deployments of AI robotics into the world is in a world where your facility is primarily staffed by people, like you would have a group of people that are doing the individual handling work, and then you would have a team leader um, that oversees a team of people to help them unblock difficult issues and train them. And it's pretty much the same analogy for that in the robotics world, like where we deploy, when then we deploy a fleet of robots into customers' operations, like we would have this, think of them as the robotic team leads, like that lead a team of robots that help them troubleshoot difficult issues uh, and help figure out optimal ways to feed the workload to the robots. Um, and so we really think of this as deploying AI robots as an augmentation to the human workforce. So like so the ability to maybe in the past like you can only pack 300, 500 customer orders in one hour and then you'll be very tired doing that. Like in this new world, like you would be able to lead a fleet of N robots and then pack 5,000 
um, uh, customer orders in one hour. And that's the type of transformation of work um, that we are seeing. Not that dissimilar from in the past, like people use pencil and paper to do calculation and then they move to using calculator to do calculation. Like it just gives you more capability um, to do more the same hour of your time. What do you have any stats or any kind of use cases from clients that use your technology that actually talk about the kinds of savings from either a time perspective or, or revenue cost savings uh, that they've seen as a result mm -hmm. of, of robotics being the mm -hmm. operation? Definitely. And, and that's true for all of the customers that we have, right? Because if you think about these warehouse operations, like they are the places where the cost structure gets scrutinized a lot, right? Because traditionally warehouses are cost centers, like they're becoming more of a differentiator in capabilities now, but these are the places that you would expect a lot of financial scrutiny on how you operate. Right? And so really all of these AI robots that we deploy in the world, like they need to deliver savings from a labor savings perspective, from an improvement in reliability perspective, these are the things that you definitely need a strong, positive business case for this type of technology to become viable. And this comes back to why you need really strong AI, like why you need this foundation model that can learn across all these different places so that you can deliver unparalleled performance. The reason for that is if you don't do that, like you would have a robot that makes you lose money and there's no way that we can scale there. Okay. So I have one last question for you because you are definitely in an industry where things are changing all the time. And there is absolutely, I think it'd be, it's ironic if I would say that people can become complacent in a place like yours to be able to say, okay, this is awesome that we're going to, we're going to actually deliver something that's going to be transformational for an industry. But you actually live, I would say, in a culture of, of chaos where you need to be able to be looking for the next problem that something like robotics or covariant can actually solve. So tell me about a little bit about your culture and the type of people that work there and how you persist within an industry where, where things are always changing. Yeah, like the, the concept that we think about is like how can we build an organization that can repeatedly innovate, right? And that's what we need to do. Like we are now in an industry where you just take the thing that has been done a million times and make it a little bit better. What we need to do is we actually need to go invent new things. We need to do that constantly. And it needs, it comes down to a very deliberate choice on people that we hire. Like we hire people that like to challenge conventional beliefs, like hire people that like to work on core innovation. And we need to be very deliberate about culture. Like we ne need to be deliberate about in building a culture that really encourage learning, like really encourage learning new things. And we need to do, build a culture where it's normal to attempt to do the impossible things. Like because all innovations has risks, you can, if you're not willing to take risks, if you're not willing to push the boundary of what is normally considered possible, then you cannot innovate. And so. Team and culture is the core of how we can build a company that repeatedly innovates. That's great. I actually have one more question I'd like. 
Yeah, go ahead. So, Peter, so what is your goal for 2023? Like, do you have any major milestones that you're trying to hit this year? Yeah, definitely. As I mentioned before, like we're actually sitting in the place where the ChatGPT moment for robotics is happening now, at least at Covarian. And we are rapidly scaling up and deploying robots into multiple industries, into multiple customers. And so we see it as a very exciting year that the AI has become mature enough that we can start scaling this into the, in, in the world. Like, so after 2023, like we think we'll look back and say, oh, wow, like that's become so clear that this one general AI can actually help robots be successful over a really wide set of customers and use cases. And they all learn from each other and improve. And that paves the way for even more rapid scale up of AI robotics into the world. That's great. Thank you so much. And uh, I, I appreciate, you, appreciate you coming on. I know we missed our interview at Collision, but uh, this has been fantastic. And I can't wait to follow your success and see where it goes in the coming years. So thank you. Yeah, thank you um, for all the good questions. And then um, I definitely enjoyed being here. Thank you. And for our audience, if you have any ideas for topics that you want us to cover in the future, please contact us at communications at altitudeaccelerator.ca. In the meantime, we'll be back next week and have fun and stay safe. Tech and Censored, an Altitude Accelerator podcast, does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and distributed by Bluemex. For more Tech and Censored content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.